We now begin the third parak of Masachas Erevin, 3.1, and we're going to discuss the Eruv. This is the Eruv Tchumen we're talking about. Now, this gets confusing because there are three different kinds of Eruvin, three things called Eruv, that have nothing to do one with the other. One thing is the Eruv Tavshilin, nothing to do with Masachas at all. That's a mechanism which allows you to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos, the egg, the bread, etc. Um, that's Erev Tavshilin. Then you have the Erev Chatseros. We just finished discussing that in the second parak. Um, that's what a mechanism that allows um, different Rishuyos Yachid to be combined. That's the Erev Chatseros. And here we're talking about the Erev Tchumen. That allows um, one to adjust his what's considered his Makum Shvisa, his home, for Shabbos. So I'll explain. So those two things have nothing to do with each other. Here we're talking about Tchumen and the Erev Tchumen. The Tchum is the 2,000 Amma, um, loosely speaking, perim, uh, radius around which, within which one must stay during Shabbos. The truth is we'll come back to the measurements, which is a little more complicated in the geometry um, later on. But let's keep it very simple now and just consider a person who's living out in the sticks. He has a farmhouse, and he's limited to his farmhouse and 2,000, almost loosely speaking, in every direction um, on Shabbos. He can't go beyond the 2,000 almost. However, let's say, for example, he had a friend living in the next farmhouse over, which is 3,000 almost away, and that friend's making a bris on Shabbos, let's say, and he wants to go on Shabbos to his friend's house. Well, he won't be able to because the friend's house is more than 2,000 almost away. That'd be beyond the tuchum, beyond the border. He, however, can set up an Erev Tchumen, which will allow um, a mechanism that allow the Tchum of his home and the Tchum of his uh, friend's home, since they will overlap. There's only, each one has 2,000 Amas towards the other, and since they're only 3,000 Amas away, they would overlap. There's a way to set it up that he could actually travel to his friend's house on Shabbos. And the way he does that is to establish that his home for Shabbos is not his normal house, but some other place. A place, let's say, which is, let's say, 1,500 almost from his house and 1,500 almost from his friend's house in the middle. And that being the case, if that were his home for Shabbos, he'd be able to get home and spend his time at home on Shabbos since it's within the tchum of that new home. And it's also in the tchum of the friend's house, so he can go there on Shabbos as well. So if one wants to set up his makom shvis, um, his uh, conceptual home for Shabbos, in a place other than his home, he has two options. One option is to simply camp out over there during Banish Mushas, as Friday turns into Shabbos. If he's out there in that spot, that can become his home for Shabbos. The other alternative is to set up a symbolic home by putting food over there. So he puts out his little picnic basket of food, and that picnic basket will be, since kind of your home is where the food is, so as long as he's got food out there for two meals, and then that picnic basket could be considered to be the, the center of his, his Bakmash Visa, the center of his 2000 Almas, and then again, he's got his home and his friend's home um, both inside the Tchum. So let's say the over here, we're setting up an air of Tchumen, a way to combine those two um, zones, his zone of 2000 Almas and his friend's zone of 2000 Almas, by setting up food stuff somewhere in the middle. So we'll have a number of Mishnayas, that explain the rules of the Eretz Chumen. But here we're focused on simply the question of which foods may be used for your Eretz Chumen. So the Mishnah says, Bakol Ma'arvin, you could use any food you want to set up that Eruv. 
this is being a little loosely, but we'll have the exception is going to be, and the focal point of much of the mission is, the exceptional status of water and salt. Water and salt are not considered to be um, sources of sustenance, mazon for a person, and therefore they are ineligible to be used as the food stuff that would be the Erev Tchumen. We're also going to talk about Shituf and Muvaos right over here for a moment. So the Shituf is really the essentially functioning the exact same thing as the Erev Chatseros. Erev Chatseros was the food which um, unites the different residents of the Chatser, of the courtyard, you know, in the, in the apartment, let's say. Um, they have one common food, which makes them to a consortium that they can all share the common space together. The Shetufim Mavos works the same way, essentially, except instead of uniting the members of the Chatser, it's uniting the members of the Mavui, of the alleyway. The only difference, really, primarily between the Shetufim Mavos and the Erev Chatseros is that Erev Chatseros must be um, done with bread, whereas the Shetufim Mavos can be done essentially with any food, as we'll see right now in the Mishnah. So that's what the Mishnah says. Bakol Ma'arvin, you can use any food you want to make an Erev Tchumen, and your the exceptions being water and salt. Again, those don't satisfy, those don't nourish a person, they're not considered to be um, like sustaining foods, and therefore they're not going to be acceptable for those purposes. Uh, there's a general klal, by the way, I should just say, sort of as a side point, but a very important point, that whenever the Mishnah says a klal, one cannot extrapolate um, fully from that klal, that principle, um, even if it says something like there's a principal chutz with it, one particular exception, that does not mean there aren't other exceptions. And in fact, there are other exceptions. There are other kinds of foods um, that one may not use for his Erev Tchumen or Shetufi Mavaos, um, like, for example, uh, mushrooms. There are other examples also, actually beyond the scope of what I want to get to right now. Um, the main point of our mission here is the is that bread and salt, excuse me, sorry, water and salt are ineligible, um, whereas essentially all their foods, with some exceptions, some small exceptions, um, are yes, acceptable. Um, now, since we're talking about water and salt being exceptional, we're also going to say, hakol nikach bekesef maser, all types of foods essentially can be purchased with your maser sheni money. There's no word sheni in the Mishnah, but it means the maser sheni money. I'll remind you very briefly, maser sheni is that second tithe, um, the, it's the foodstuffs you bring in years one, two, four, and five, the Shemitah cycle, up to Yushalayim, to eat in Yushalayim. And if you don't want to, or you're not able to bring the physical food itself, because it's too much, too heavy, too far, whatever, you're allowed to redeem the Kedushas Meiser Sheni of that foodstuff onto coins, take the coins Yushalayim, and then take those coins and purchase foodstuffs in Yushalayim. So the main thrust of our mission here is that, yes, you can buy foodstuffs, whatever you want, um, in Yerushalayim, but as with your Meister Shani money, but you can't purchase water or salt with your Meister Shani money. Again, it sounds like this is the exception, but the truth is there are other exceptions as well. Um, the Mishnah is over there in Meister Shani, Darshanak Klala Pratu Klala from the Pusik, yeah, in parts, it's technical, it doesn't matter right now, but it comes out that things have to be pre me pre, that means to say, um, that there are things that come from other foods that come from other foods, like you know, normal things that have babies or that have seeds, etc. And second of all, they have to be um, gedule karka. They have to be foodstuffs that grow from or get their nourishment or the ultimate energy source from the ground. Um, so that means 
vegetables as well as animals and so on, um, are all acceptable, since water doesn't make babies and salt doesn't make babies, um, nor do they get their nourishment from the ground or derive their energy source from the ground in the case of water, so then they're just not eligible. Um, there are other exceptions as well, like for example, fish. Fish don't get their energy from the ground, they live in the sea, and therefore you couldn't buy fish with your kesef Meister Shani. Okay? The Mishnah continues to say another way in which um, salt and water are exceptional is when it comes to a neder. If a person takes a neder and he swears off um, mazon, food from himself, so then he's allowed to eat water and salt. The Mishnah says, Hanoder min hamazon, one who takes a neder against sustaining foods, let's call it, mutter b'mayim of melach, he's allowed to still drink water and eat salt. Um, Nadarim are tricky and sort of complicated beyond the scope of what I want to deal with right here. The reason why Nadarim are always very difficult is because the point of a neder is you say something, X, is forbidden to you as a korban is forbidden to you. Um, but to understand what is included in that something, that X, it's all about the connotations of the word and that requires us to be sensitive to the nuances of the Mishnaic Hebrew language, um, since that's what it's all built upon, that's happening here as well. So the Gemara ends up saying that if a person um, proscribes, he makes a nether against um, things that are zan, things that are nourishing, that would then forbid him from eating anything other than salt and water. If you actually use the word mazon, like they have in the mission here, the truth is uh, mazon would come like birkat the mazon, essentially would only come to prohibit him from eating things that are made out of the five um, grains that were available to the and the main source of staple food in the time of the Mishnah. That's wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. Um, but other foods actually be okay. Anyways, all that again beyond the scope really of our Mishnah here. The point of the Mishnah here is that salt and water are exceptional when it comes to the Dharma as well. And if one makes an editor against mazon or things that are zan, the water and the salt would not be included. Okay, now new point, like new paragraph in the Mishnah. The point of the Erev Tchumen is to set up like food for yourself on Shabbos. We'll discuss in the 8th paragraph how much food again. Um, but the question is, does it have to be food that you not just are going to eat, but even that you could eat? Now, what if the food is totally forbidden to you and you could never eat it, so it can't be food for you on Shabbos? Is it eligible to be used as an Erev Tchumen? So the Mishnah says, the, the Mishnah's answer, according to Tanakhama, is Yes, as long as it's food for somebody, it's fine to be used as an Erev Tchumen. And that being the case, the Mishnah says, Ma'arvin l'nazir b'yayin. A nazir is someone who swore off drinking, getting benefit really from or consuming um, any great product, including wine. So the nazir can't drink wine. Yet we're saying the nazir could use wine as his Erev Tchumen. Because while it's not food for him, it's food for other people. And similarly, Uli Yisrael Batruma, a non Kohen, could use Truma food as his Erev Tchumen, even though, of course, a Yisrael, a non Kohen, can never eat the Truma, that's forbidden to him on a penalty of Misa uh, uh premature death. Still, he he could use it as a, according to the Tanakama, he could use it as his Erev Tchumen because it's, it's uh, edible for somebody, it's food for somebody. That's the halach. However, Sumchas disagrees, and Sumchas says, Sumchas Omer Bechulin, he says, no, only Chulin, non-Truma food, may be used by a non-Kohen for his 
air of tchumen because it needs to be food that you could eat. Sumchas doesn't take issue with the nazir using wine, um, but really for a sort of a technical reason because he holds that ultimately an, an, a nazir could do um, like hataris nadarm of on his nazirus, and he could essentially go to a chacham and undo the iser he has on consuming wine. And therefore, sort of, even though he didn't, it's as if he, since he could, it would be eligible for that reason. So it's a side point. But the main point is, Sumchus says it has to be food you could eat. Um, Halacha, however, is like the Tanakama, that it does need to be food you could eat. And nevertheless, I should just say that it's not going to work, Bizman Hazeh, for you to use Truma as your heir of Truman. The reason why is because nowadays nobody can eat Truma. Even Kohanim um, are all assumed to be Tameh as Tamei Mace, and therefore they can't eat Truma either. And since no one can eat the Truma, now it is a lachor B that you cannot use Truma for air of Truma. Okay. Now, next part of the Mishnah. The, there's a basic principle, which is that a person needs to be in the same zone, let's call it, he has to be able to access his air of Truma. If it's either there's some sort of physical separation which makes it impossible for him to access his air of Truma, his food, um, or even if there's a halachic impediment that stops him from getting access to it, so then it will not be a valid heir of Truman. So our Mishnah here is considering um, possible halachic impediments and whether or not that's a problem. So here the Mishnah is going to say, um, according to the Tanakhama, we'll say that v'lakohen pras, um, that a Kohen could set up his Erev Tchumen in a base hapras. What's a base hapras? So a base hapras is a... There are actually three types of, of bate pras, the three types that it could be, but the point of our mission here is the type where a grave was in a field, and then the field was plowed over. And there's a concern that small bone fragments were dragged around by the plowshare when it went over the grave. Now a kohen is not allowed to become tame from to my mace from a, a, a dead corpse, and bones can convey tuma. Now, a Kohen can never go into a cemetery proper because just simply walking over a cemetery, or over, I should say, over a, a corpse, um, is he's ma'ahil on it, and he becomes tame. And you can't even walk Medurabana within Dalaramos of where people are buried because we're afraid they might misjudge and end up being ma'ahil and going over um, the corpse, which would be an Isser Doraisa, of becoming Tame or exposing yourself to tum, Tuma as a Kohen from a corpse. The Beis HaPras, we're not afraid of the Kohen being exposed to Tuma via Ohel, of walking over grave, because we, we're not worried about the grave, we're worried about bone fragments. And bone fragments, um, even large bone fragments, like whole bones even, can't convey Tuma through the mechanism called Ohel, meaning if one stands directly over the bone of a corpse um, by itself, he will not become Tame. Uh, only way bones can convey tumor by ohel is if there's a significant number of bones, which is this, what defines significant. There are a number of different ways in Masechus Oholos, but bone fragments, certainly not. When it comes to bone fragments, the only way a bone fragment can convey tumor is either by direct contact, maga, or um, by bearing its weight slash moving it, masa. Now, Medurabanan, a Kohen is not allowed to go into a base of pras, meaning within 100 amos around where the grave used to be, because we're afraid there could be small bone fragments and he might accidentally 
um, touch one or knock one, which would be maka or ma- uh, If he touches it, that would be maga. If he knocks one around and pushes, kicks it away or something, that would be masa, and that would make him tummy midoraisa. However, for the sake of a mitzvah, a kohen is allowed to go into a beis pras. The reason why is because he could be very careful and he can do what's called menapech vaholech. He could blow as he goes, meaning he like uses he could blow with his mouth and blow away anything on the ground. And then if they're both small fragments, they would be blown away. If they're larger fragments, they wouldn't be blown away. He would see them with his eyes. There's a bone there. And therefore, um, we'll be lenient for the sake of a mitzvah. So the point here of our Mishnah is, since a Kohen, in theory, could enter into the Beis Pras, carefully being menapech baholech, blowing as he walks, he could, in theory, have access to his, his Erev Tchumen, and therefore, it's going to be okay, it's going to be effective. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Afilu Beisakfaros. Rabbi Yehuda says, not only can the Kohen put his um, his Erev Tchumen into a Beis Pras, but into a, even into a Beisakfaros proper. So, meaning the Tanakama and the Halacha is, no, a Beisakfaros won't work, simply won't work, because the Kohen can't get in there. Um, therefore, therefore, he has a Halachic impediment where he can't access his his uh, Erev Tchumen. But Rabbi Yehuda says, yes, he could. Why does Rabbi Yehuda allow him to put it into a, a cemetery proper, because Rabbi holds there's a way in which he could still get access, which is he could go in there and he could set up a contraption which would act as a machitza, the word lachotz, like the word machitza, he could create a barrier between, of tuma, a tuma barrier between him and the graveyard, and therefore he could get access and eat the he could get in there and even on Friday afternoon or Shabbos or whatever, get access to and eat his uh his heir of Tchumen. How would that work? Essentially, if you have a very large kli that can contain more than 40 saw, the shida teva migdal, so you put that thing on like on a gull, on wheels essentially, and you can wheel it into the basic varos, the cemetery, and the kohen on the inside is shielded effectively from the tuma below. Um, and that being the case, Rebuta says since he could, he could access it through that artifice, so then it's going to be okay. Tanakama, Rebuta says, no, that won't work. This begins to get rather technical. He holds that a mobile sheeted table migdal on this on this um, agala on the wagon, um, because it's moving, it doesn't act as a shield against Tuma, so it won't work. And therefore, Rebbe Yehuda disagrees and says, no, a Kohen can't um, use the ba- the uh, the basic faros, the cemetery for his makom shvisa, his his erev tchumen. The truth is, the Gemara goes on to say they have a second machlokus, um, which is even more technical. It has to do with whether or not one can get hana from a basic kfaros. The rule is, in, in general, one may not get hana from a basic kfaros, meaning one cannot get benefit from uh, a corpse or the ground that serves a corpse, or really anything that serves a corpse. It's us or bahana, it's for beginning to get benefit from, from, benefit from it. And therefore, the cemetery should be off limits for this purpose. Rebuta says it's still going to be fine. Um, and the reason why is because he says that, listen, the, the, for the sake of a mitzvah, Erev Tchumen, you're not really getting benefit. The general principle is mitzvahs lav lehenos netno, mitzvahs weren't given for the sake of getting benefit. Um, and therefore, he's not getting like a hana in the conventional sense by using it as Erev Tchumen. The Tanakama Rebbe, the Tanakama Rebbe says that may be true, but then once Shabbos has started, the Erev kicked in, and now he's getting benefit because he's no longer, no, no longer a mitzvah. And Rabbi 
Yehuda disagrees with that, and he says that's not considered. He doesn't. The person doesn't care anymore about his food once he's got his eretz chumen, so he's not getting benefit from it. So that's a rather technical machlokas here. And the reason why we have to bring both of those issues in is because the first issue regarding um, the Kohen, if he can set up this magic Tuma shield, is relevant because it only has enough meaning of whether a Kohen can use a cemetery or not um, for his his Erev Tchumen, whereas the second Machlokas that is through getting benefit in general from a basic forest would apply even to a non-Kohen. Um, Halacha is going to be like the Tanakama, so cemeteries are off limits. Uh, oh, actually, there's, there's some Machlokas in the Roshanam, but anyways... Let's, let's just, so I'll leave the halakha off now.